Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I get into those topics, if you could, wherever you are listening to these uh, podcasts, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Google, if you could do these two things. One, subscribe to the podcast. And two, if you could, leave a review or comment. That would be greatly appreciated because when you do that, one, it allows me to see what people are saying about the podcast, whether they enjoy it or not. Or either two, it also allows me to see what I can fix up about it and it would allow businesses to know that this podcast does exist and allow the algorithms to further uh, throw this podcast out to people that are listening to this type of content. So, with that being said, let's get on with the show. Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Seth Rollins and Riddle fighting in gorilla position. For people that don't know, gorilla position is where the wrestlers will stand behind the curtain, wait for their music to hit for them to come out. That's where Rollins and Riddle will be fighting at the moment. And they will continue to fight, and the security and backstage hands will separate them. And then you'll get the camera flash over to uh, Corey Graves, uh, Byron Saxton, and Jimmy Smith. They're at commentary. They're doing the commentary, but then it'll go right back to now you see Riddle and Rollins fighting into the crowd. They continue to fight into the crowd. Security and backstage personnel would again separate those two. But this time, uh, both of them will fight towards the outer over the barricade, around the ring, and then you see Riddle jump on the barricade and hit a crossbody onto the backstage personnel and Rollins. It will finally end with uh, those two, with Rollins and Riddle fighting up the ramp, fighting up to the entrance stage, and then you still see backstage personnel and referees separating both Riddle and Rollins. This is for their build-up to their clash at the castle match that they have and to build up the animosity between both gentlemen. After this, we would get our first situation of the night. It's Trish Stratus coming out. Uh, They're in Toronto. Trish Stratus is from Toronto, Canada. So she's out there to say hello to her people. She would say that it feels good to be home. Not just here, home back in the country, but back in this ring. Trish would say that she has been doing some thinking. And once she says this, Bailey, Dakota, and Io will come out to the ring. Bailey will say that they're big fans of Trish and they were wondering what is Trish doing out here. Trish will say that she is here to support a fellow Canadian, a fellow Torontoan, uh, Edge, because he has a match tonight against Damian Priest. And she was going to say why she was here, but Dakota will cut her off and says that she doesn't care. Bailey will say they aren't fans of Trish and that she is tired of Trish riding her coattails, the women's of this generation's coattails. Uh, Bailey will continue to say that their time is now and Trish time is in the past. That's when the Raw Women's Champion Bianca Belair will come out and get in the ring to support Trish Stratus. Bianca will tell Bailey that she needs to show Trish some respect because Trish walked so we can run and be successful in this business. Trish will let Bailey know that she can turn unretired real quick. And that's when you see Trish take off her jacket. So she looks like she's ready to fight Bailey. Bailey would take off her jacket and say, I like those odds because it's three on two. Trish would say, well, it's simple math, really. It's the three of you against the Raw Women's Champion, myself, and then you would see Alexa Bliss and Asuka come walking down to the ring. So now it's four on three. Bailey would say she's giving Trish a pass tonight because she is in her hometown, and that they will see those other three in Cardiff. 
Trish would then wish good luck to Dakota EO as they go against Alexa and Asuka, and now they will have that match, and that, mind you, is the semifinals of the Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament. So we get that match, that happens next. EO and Dakota would win that match by pinfall when Dakota and Asuka were the legal competitors, and Dakota had Asuka in the corner, ready to hit the running uh, corner kick, but Asuka would move out of the way, EO would tag herself in and drop to the floor, unbeknownst to Asuka, Asuka then would grab Dakota Kai and lock her in the Asuka lock, and Dakota would tap out, but again, Dakota isn't the legal person. Asuka would let go of the whole thing that she won, but then EO would come in the ring and pin Asuka with a crucifix pin and get the win. So Dakota Kai and EO are going into the finals of the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament. After this, we will get Dolph Ziggler going against Finn Balor, who had Rhea Ripley in his corner. Finn would win that match by pinfall, thanks to some help from Rhea Ripley, when Finn and Dolph will be training shots towards the end of the match, and Dolph would headbutt Finn. Finn would grab the referee and hold his throat like Dolph just hit him in the throat. Dolph would look to hit Finn with a super kick, but Rhea would get on the ring apron and hit Dolph Ziggler. Finn would then grab Dolph and hit him with the 1916, which is a reverse elevated DDT, then go to the top rope and finish him off with a coup de grace, which is a double foot stomp to the chest for the win. After that, we would be getting Chad Gable and Otis coming out to the ring, and Chad would say that he is issuing an open challenge and says that he is calling out anybody that Toronto has to offer. He says that since he's been in Toronto, he has been seeing nothing but toothless individuals, and he's continues to clown Toronto and, again, issues the open challenge. It says that anybody in the bag that think they can handle him, come on out. And the person that answers the challenge is Kevin Owens. So we get Chad Gable going against Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens would win the match by pinfall when he would hit Gable with the pop-up powerbomb for the win. After the match, Otis would get in the ring and attack Kevin Owens from behind. Kevin Owens would then be in the corner of the turnbuckle, and Otis would run over towards him. Kevin Owens would move and... Otis would run into the ring post shoulder first. Kevin Owens would leave the ring, and he would go outside to grab Chad Gable, and he looks to hit him with a powerbomb on the apron. But Otis would clothesline Kevin Owens, throw Kevin Owens into the ring, and as Otis was about to grab Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens would hit Otis with a stunner. Chad Gable would get in the ring, and then you would see Kevin Owens kick Gable in the gut, then powerbomb Gable onto Otis. This was a feel-good win for Kevin Owens because he's in... Toronto, that he's in his home country of Canada. He is a country hero. So that was the whole thing for Kevin Owens with this situation right here. After this, we had Aaliyah going against Bailey. The reason why we have this match is because backstage we had Aaliyah having an interview, and then Bailey would walk up on her. Trish would defend Aaliyah, and you would see Aaliyah questioning when is Bailey going to get in the ring? And Bailey would say, Well, I'll meet you in the ring tonight. So that's the reason why I have this match right now. Bailey would win the match by pinfall when she would hit Aaliyah with the Rose Plant, which is a face buster for the win. Uh, it was a solid match for Aaliyah. It was a solid match for Bailey. It wasn't one of Bailey's best matches, but remember, she's coming back from not being in the ring for a solid year, so she got to uh, shake off a little bit of that ring rust. So Aaliyah being her first competitor, it wasn't a bad move on WWE's part. After this, we had Ciampa and The Miz going against AJ Styles and the United States Champion Bobby Lashley. This match would end in a no contest when AJ would hit a springboard forearm to the Miz on the outside of the ring. AJ would hype himself up as he's standing next to a barricade, and a figure in a black hoodie would grab AJ. Now, 
for the past couple of weeks, we see a figure in a black hoodie. We think it's Dexter Loomis because he has been appearing in these last two weeks of Raw in a black hoodie. And so we think it's Dexter that's grabbing an AJ. But it isn't Dexter. It's a random guy. Security runs and grabs the guy, and they pull him away, and we see security pull this guy away. Miz will be at the far left of the barricade, and Miz will be sitting there catching his breath, and we will see a security guard standing there, and you see the security guard with a black helmet on. He stands up from his chair, turns around, looks at the barricade, takes the helmet off, and it's Dexter Loomis. Dexter would grab Miz and drag him through the crowd and basically adopt the Miz. He just basically just kidnapped the Miz. We don't see the Miz no more after this. The ref sees this. He calls for the bell. And that's the reason why we have no contest for this. And once we go back to the ring, we see Ciampa trying to tag Bobby Lashley from behind. But Bobby would punch Ciampa. AJ would hit Ciampa with a phenomenal form. And then AJ would pick Ciampa up and Bobby would spear Ciampa for this. Now, side note here, on NXT, you will find out what happened to Dexter Loomis because he does make an appearance on NXT, and I'll get to that when I talk about NXT here. I just want to let that side note be uh, noted. After this, we will get a surprise, and I mean a truly surprise uh, return back to WWE. It was Johnny Gargano. Johnny Gargano's music would hit, and we see Johnny Gargano come back to the ring. He is so happy to be back. Johnny would get in the ring and he would say, I told you that I'll be back. Nobody expected it coming up. Johnny would introduce himself and he would run down his NXT resume to the crowd and to the people at home that probably didn't watch NXT. Uh, He did that to refresh people to who he is. Johnny would talk about uh, when he was gone, people would wonder when and where he would show up. He mentions that uh, he will have those exact same questions too as he was gone for these last nine months. Johnny talks about when he was holding his baby, he had a revelation, and he says that tonight he's betting on himself because that's the lesson that he's going to teach his son. Johnny would announce that he's back in WWE, so that's the formal announcement. Johnny Gargano's back in WWE. And then Austin Theory, sorry, Theory will come out and Theory will start walking towards the ring and you just see a shocked look on Theory's face and he's so shocked to see Johnny back because they have some history. Johnny Gargano, Theory, Candice LeRae, and Indy Hartwell have history on NXT as the way. Um, Theory will get in the ring and he says that it's been nine months since he's seen Johnny and uh, they're just trying to catch up here. Theory will say that since Johnny's been gone these last nine months, Theory has participated at WrestleMania, won the United States Championship, and he's won the Money in the Bank uh, briefcase. Theory will say that all the things that Johnny Gargano wanted to accomplish, he's already accomplished that. Theory will say that now that he's the vet and Johnny's the rookie because in NXT, Johnny was the vet and Theory was the rookie. So now with Johnny being on the main roster, he can be Theory's rookie and he could be carrying Theory's bags and standing behind him instead of Theory standing behind Gargano like he did in NXT. And he says that, but if Johnny doesn't want to do that, then he can just go away. Theory says, but nobody wants to see that. People love the combo of Johnny Gargano and Theory. And Theory would tell Johnny, let's do the handshake for old time's sakes. So you see Theory on one end, extend his hand out, and he's telling Johnny to hit him with it hit him with it, and Johnny looks at his hands, and he looks at the crowd like, you want me to do it? And he just super kicks Theory in the face. So now we have a built-in rivalry with Johnny Gargano and Theory, 
And I'm going to front with you. Nobody on the dirt sheets, nobody on the internet, nobody on Twitter, nobody knew Johnny Gargano was going to be at this Raw here. And the funny thing was, I was talking to my father as we were driving uh, this Monday, and I talked about, man, it was reported that Shawn Michaels was supposed to be the guy to get Johnny Gargano back into WWE. Apparently, just Shawn Michaels did his job. And I... It was just funny because I just talked about Gargano that Monday like afternoon and then later that night he paused up on Raw. Again, complete shock to everybody. It's in Toronto. So, I mean, WWE did the right thing. They shocked everybody by keeping that way on the low low. So, good job to WWE for that. Hopefully, we get more surprises like that coming uh, later. After this, it's time for the main event of Raw. Edge going against Damian Priest. Edge was by himself in this match. Damian Priest was by himself, so they had a straight one-on-one matchup between both of them. Edge would win this match by pinfall when Edge would hit Priest with the Canadian Destroyer and then a spear for the win. After the match, Edge would get two chairs, get him in the ring. Edge was going to hit the concerto on Priest, but Rhea Ripley would get in the ring and low blow Edge. Finn would then run to the ring and hit Edge with a coup de grace, and then Finn would grab a steel chair. And it looks like Finn's about to hit Edge, but Beth Phoenix would appear and grab the chair from Finn. So now Beth Phoenix has the chair. She's ready to defend her husband, Edge, and she's in position to swing it. Rhea Ripley's there. She's frothing at the mouth to try to get at Beth, but then you see Finn and Damien just grab at Rhea, and you just see them pull Rhea out of the ring, and that's how Raw ends, with Beth Phoenix standing there with the chair defending her husband, Edge, against the Judgment Day. So I can see a clash at the castle. I can see this happening. It'll be a six-person tag. It'll be Judgment Day, Finn, Damien, and Rhea going against the team of Beth, Edge, and Rey Mysterio. Or if not Rey, Dominic. We can substitute that. Uh, again, another side note here. I talked to my father again, and again that Monday afternoon as we were driving, I said, man, Rhea Ripley could be wrestling uh, Min. She could be the new version of China, and nobody's ever going to replace China, but she could redo the whole thing. Because when you look at the women's roster, and you really examine it, the woman that is built like muscular, toned up and fit that actually could you, you could put beside another dude. You could say, OK, you will have no problem believing it is Rhea Ripley. She's actually toned up. She's muscled up. Right. She's actually beating up on a dude, Dominic, for the past month. So it's believable for her to do the treatment of, OK, she wrestles guys now, at least in this storyline that we're doing with Judgment Day and the Mysterios. I didn't think of, okay, let's get Beth Phoenix in here. WWE thought that ahead. So, again, another kudos to WWE for that because I didn't think we were going to put Beth in this. I thought it was going to be a six-person match at Cardiff, Judgment Day of uh, Rhea and Finn and Damian going against the Mysterios and Edge with basically Dominic being the one to try to go against uh, Rhea. But I can see that we're trying to scope it out to Beth joining her husband and probably Ray or Dominic against the Judgment Day at Clash at the Castle. And another side note, at the end of Raw, when Raw goes off air and the live audience sees this because it gets reported and video does state on the internet, Edge would do a talk to the Toronto crowd and he basically gives them a timeline. He says, in a perfect world, uh, I will be ending my career here in Toronto. And he gives basically a timeline date saying that next year he probably wants to hang up the boots here in Toronto because WWE comes back there in August. So he gives everybody a timeline that 
next year around the time WWE comes back to Toronto, Edge will be retiring. So everybody embrace the time that you have with Edge on your TV screens. Anytime you see him on a live event, anytime you see him at a pay-per-view or a television uh, taping, give Edge all the appreciation that you can because this is literally his last year in professional wrestling and he's going to enjoy every moment that he can. So that is your wrestling highlights of the week for Monday Night Raw. Off to NXT. Before I get into the NXT results, uh, there's something I want to highlight here. There would be a Andre Chase segment with his Chase U students, and he will bring in a NXT UK wrestler, and it's Charlie Dempsey. Dempsey is the son of William Regal, and when you look at Dempsey, you can see the resemblance in Regal. Uh, Dempsey was there to showcase some wrestling to the Andre Chase students, and it seemed that he got uh took in some liberties he was able to just get a little bit more aggressive than he needed to be when he got to Bodie Hayward Bodie would complain about Charlie being aggressive and he would tell Andre Chase about this this was basically just trying to get people to know who Charlie Dempsey is and you might see him more on your NXT television because again NXT UK is going to be shutting down and NXT Europe will be uh, showing up and reforming in 2023. So we're going to be start moving some NXT UK guys over to NXT, the American uh, NXT. So this was just basically a introduction to who Charlie Dempsey was. Now, on to NXT. The first thing that you would see on NXT was Braun Breaker coming out. Braun Breaker will come out and he gives props to JD McDonnan for a hard-fired match last week in their NXT Championship matchup. And then Braun will call out Tyler Bate to have a chat to see what Tyler Bate is doing here in NXT. Tyler Bate will come out with his UK championship until Braun, he's out here to challenge Braun to a unification match at Worlds Collide because he is the first and last NXT UK champion. And with NXT Europe around, he wants to go back holding that NXT championship. Braun would give Tyler Bate his respect and tell him, I've been watching you from afar and he accepts the challenge. So at Worlds Collide, it will be a title versus title unification matchup. The NXT UK champion, Tyler Bate, going against the NXT champion, Braun Breaker. Now we will have our first match of the night is for the NXT UK Tag Team Championships. It is Gallus' Mark Coffey and Wolfgang with Joe Coffey in their corner going against the champions, Briggs and Jensen, who had Fallon Henley in their corner. Gallus would win the match by countout, but it should have been by disqualification when Lash Legend would come out and Fallon would run over there and attack Lash. And now you got both ladies hitting each other. Briggs would get out of the ring and grab Fallon off of Lash Legend. Pretty Deadly would come out and attack Briggs. And then Jensen would go out to help his partner. And now you got Pretty Deadly and Briggs and Jensen fighting to the back with the referee seeing all of this and still continuing the count them out and this thing should have been ended by disqualification but they went with a count out either way gallus wins they do not get the nxt uk uh tag team championships because the only time a championship can be won in wwe is by pinfall or submission after the match gallus would get attacked from behind by diamond mind this is a receipt from last week's beat down that gallus did on diamond mind diamond mind would attack Gallus, and then throw Gallus out of the ring. Security will come out to stop Gallus from entering the ring. So now you have that situation happening, and Diamond Mind is the last people standing with the last left. Later in the night, you will see Diamond Mind in their locker room excited about what they did to Gallus earlier by beating them up. 
and we will find out that next week Diamond Mine will have a six-man tag against Gallus. It will be the Creed brothers and Damon Kemp with Roddy in their corner going against Gallus. Roddy would try to say that they're going to beat up Gallus next week. Julius Creed would step in and he would tell Roddy that no, it's going to be the Cree brothers and Damon Kemp doing this. He doesn't trust Roddy, so he needs to be with a partner that he can trust. Then you will see the NXT UK tag champions, Grayson Jensen, walk into the Diamond Mines locker room. They say, hey, when you guys get done with Gallus, make sure you guys leave a little piece for them so we can handle them. Then you will see Roddy again interject, and he says, no, the Diamond Mine is going to destroy them next week, and he will call Briggs and Jensen nerds. Briggs would take exception to this, and he would have to check Roddy. He would tell Roddy that, listen, you think the Creeds are the best tag team in WWE? They're not even the best tag team in NXT. So now you got the Creeds getting upset by this, and you see Julius tell Briggs and Jensen that, hey, once we're done with Gallus, we can settle this up and see who's the real, the best tag team in NXT. So we get this situation, and we also find out that next week it'll be Briggs, Jensen, and Fallon going against Pretty Deadly and Lash Legend in a six-person mixed tag match. Here's my thoughts on this. I know where we're going, and I'm just going to say it now. At Worlds Collide, this is the way that everything is like being laid out, and it should go like this. It'll be a Fatal 4-Way tag team unification matchup. It'll be Pretty Deadly going against... Briggs and Jensen going against Gallus, going against the Cree brothers for the unified NXT champion tag team championships, the UK tag team championships and the NXT championships. It's basically going to happen like that. We got one more week and I think by next week, they're going to actually make that official. They're just laying down the bricks for that this week. So they can announce that next week. I think that's where they're going with this. If they decided to pivot next week and they don't have this match at Worlds Collide, I'm going to be shocked by that, to be honest, because, again, they're laying the foundations for it. They could do something else, but we'll just have to see. Uh, After this, we will get the Grayson Waller effect. This is basically Grayson Waller's uh, own television show, the same way that Miz got Miz TV. He has that in the middle of the ring. And Grayson Waller's guest would be Apollo Crews. Grayson would ask Apollo, what's it like to be a clout chaser? He would tell Apollo that he is like the rest of the people in the back trying to take opportunities away from him. Apollo would say that he came back to NXT because he realized something was missing and he needed to come back to where it all began from in WWE and NXT. Grayson would ask Apollo what happened to his accent and his garb that he was wearing. Apollo would then do his accent that he had and he says that he is in the shame of his past and he was too focused on looking at the past and forgot to look at the future. So again, that's another reason why he came back to NXT to get himself refocused. Grayson will ask Apollo about the visions that he would be seeing, and he talks about the vision that he saw, what, two weeks ago about Diamond Mine getting beat up by Gallus, and he asked him, why didn't you come out here last week to help your boys, the Diamond Mind? And then you try to hear Apollo answer this, but Grayson Waller kept cutting him off. So this is kind of getting Apollo upset here. And Apollo will call Grayson Waller a low-budget Miz. Waller would ask Apollo what he's going to say to his kids when they ask why dad couldn't cut it on Mondays and Fridays and he's back to working on Tuesdays. Apollo will say that he's going to tell his kids that he was a champion on Monday and on Fridays and he will be a champion on Tuesdays. And then Apollo would hit Grayson in the face, laying Grayson out. 
and it was announced that next week on NXT, it will be Grayson Waller going against Apollo Crews. After this, we will have Javier Barnell going against Cameron Grimes. And before the match even began, you see Cameron Grimes making his entrance. He would get on the ring apron, and he would look at the NXT perch, and he would see Schism standing right there. Schism is Joe Gacy uh, and the Grizzly Young Veterans, which now known as the Dyad, standing there. And they'll be watching Cameron Grimes' match from the perch. Cameron Grimes would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the cave-in on Barnell for the win. And then after the match, Grimes would look back at the perch and see Schism just standing there. So this is still building into, is Cameron Grimes going to join Schism or is he going to just constantly stay away from them? After this, we will have our NXT debut of Blair Davenport going against Indy Hartwell. Blair would win the match by pinfall when Blair would hit a Falcon Arrow brainbuster maneuver on Indy for the win. After the match, Blair would grab Indy's arm and hit a Komagoye, which is basically a knee to the face, on Indy and then kick Indy out of the ring. Blair would get a mic and say that she is the number one contender for the NXT UK Women's Championship, but since she's in NXT, the NXT Women's Championship will do just fine. Mandy Rose will come out and say that Blair is standing in her ring and in her world. And in Mandy's world, everyone follows Mandy. She will say that she is the most dominant women's champion in all NXT and tells Blair to put some respect on her name. And that's when the NXT UK women's champion will come out. Miko Satomura would come out and get into the ring and tell Mandy that she is wrong. Miko is the most dominant women's champion in NXT. And then you will see Mandy issue a championship unification match at Worlds Collide. Miko would accept the challenge, but Blair would interject and reiterate that she is the number one contender and she can't be left out in this. So Miko would then say, we're going to make it a triple threat. So that will be official. So at Worlds Collide, we get a women's championship unification matchup. It is Miko Satomura going against Mandy Rose, going against Blair Davenport for the unified NXT Women's Championship. After this, we come back for commercial, and Indy is still sitting on the ring apron, and she has a mic in her hand. Indy says that this is what rock bottom feels like. Indy will say that for the past four months, she has looked in the mirror, and she has realized that she is the problem. She can't find success here, and Indy would constantly just, like, sulk in misery and just complain and the fans would start erupting with cheers and you don't know why until you see Dexter Loomis appear from underneath the ring on the opposite side of the ring and he's staring at Indy. Indy would hear the cheers and she would stop and then she would turn her head and see Dexter on the opposite side of the ring. Dexter would slide in the middle of the ring. Indy would get in the middle of the ring. They would stand there, look at each other. They would embrace each other with a hug and then they would kiss. The fans are now losing it. They're clapping it up. They're cheering for this. Dexter and Indy will leave the ring together. Everybody's happy because this is one big old long storyline that got cut four months ago when Dexter got released from WWE and now he's back here. They would get to the front of the building and Indy is now holding a piece of paper that has a caricature of her on it. Dexter would put her down and he would step out of the building and there. You see cars and their cop cars surrounding the building with their flashlights. Well, not with their flashlight, their lights on their cars flashing. Dexter will look at Indy as he's getting handcuffed. And you see Dexter uh, get 
dragged away and you see Indy just holding the paper and she reads the paper and on the paper it says goodbye for now and I love you forever. So this is closing the chapter on the Indy Harwell and Dexter Loomis storyline of their love. And I'm not mad at that because you know why? Dexter and Indy, we got to see their beginning. We got to see the middle. And now we got to see the end of it, at least for now, because always in WWE and always in any type of entertainment, they always can go back to their old storytelling and always like add layers onto it. So whenever they want to have Dexter and Indy both lock up again and be together, we'll get that. And also, I think this plays into probably the Miz kidnapping. So we got to see what happens more or less next week on Monday Night Raw with this whole thing. After this, we will have the dyad with Joe Gacy in their corner going against Del Toro and Joaquin Wilde with Tony D'Angelo, Stax, and Electra Lopez in their corner. Cameron Grimes will be watching this match on the perch the same way that Schism did Cameron Grimes' match earlier in the night. The dyad would win the match by pinfall when they would hit their tag finish, which is an assisted co-breaker on Wilde for the win. After the match, you will see Schism looking at Grimes on the perch, and on the outside of the ring, we would see Tony D'Angelo just chastising Toro and Wild. and we go to commercial, and we come back from commercial, we see Toro, Wild, and Electra Lopez walking out of the building, and they look sad and angry, and then you see a car pull right up to them, and you see the driver window pull down, and it's Santos Escobar. Santos will ask him, you guys didn't think I would leave you guys here, did you? He will ask them, are you guys ready to leave? And then you will see them get in the vehicle, and now you have Legato de Fantasma all together as a family, and they just drive off away from the building. So it seems to me that Santos got his group back, and this is the only way we were really going to end the rivalry because I don't know how they were going to do this if they didn't have Santos coming back to get the rest of his Legato family, to be honest with you. It's just, this storyline really, I feel, got messed up once, uh, Two Dimes got released from WWE. Cole Carter, as he's known now known as in, in uh, AEW. I think that once he got released from WWE, I don't think that people on the NXT creative knew what they wanted to do with the storyline going forward. So with Santos now coming back to grab his family and now they're leaving NXT, this was a good way to do it. So I think this is a future lesson also for anybody that's doing storylines. Always have a backup plan always because storylines can always change and this one definitely changed so this was a real like pivotal thing at least in my eyes always have a backup plan for if something doesn't go the way that you want it to in a storyline after this we will have tyler bait going against von wagner who had robert stone in his corner tyler bait would win the match by pinfall when tyler bait would hit a t-bone suplex again go up to the top turnbuckle hit a spiral tap on von wagner for the win this was a nice back and forth between Von Wagner and Tyler Bay. Von Wagner got to show off his dominating uh, power to the UK champion Tyler Bate, and I just show that he's chump. He actually can compete with Tyler Bate here, but Tyler Bate was the UK champion. We're trying to build up Tyler Bate and Braun Breaker's matchup at uh, Worlds Collide next week, so this was the reason why Tyler Bate got the win over Von Wagner. After this, it's time for the main event of NXT, a lights-out match between Tiffany Stratton and Wendy Chu. Anything goes. The only thing that was different in this match from a no-DQ, no-holds-barred match was that once the bell rung, the lights got dim, and we were basically fighting in a black-lighted type uh, environment. The only lights were, like, 
around was literally you couldn't see the crowd. The crowd was like dark, and once the light in the middle of the ring was like purple, like black lighted type lights. So again, that was the only difference in a lights out match to a no holds barred or a no uh DQ matchup here. They use trash cans, they use uh chairs, they use Legos, they even use like a bed frame. And Wendy Chu would get the win by pinfall when Wendy was on the outside of the ring and Tiffany would grab her purse and get makeup out of it. She would get the makeup powder and put it into her hands. Tiffany was going to throw the powder into Wendy's face, but Wendy would kick the powder into Tiffany's face and then grab Tiffany and full Nelson slam Tiffany through the bed frame that was on the outside of the ring. Wendy would then grab Tiffany, put her back in the ring, go to the top turnbuckle and hit a Lala bomb, which is a Vader bomb from the top turnbuckle onto Tiffany. They cover her for the win. Again, this match was pretty entertaining to be honest with you, because you know what? You got to see women get slammed onto Legos, which that's going to hurt. You got to see them use trash can lids and also a tennis racket. I forgot to mention that. You got them see them do just different things that's out of the ordinary that you don't see much on WWE television. So it was real entertaining and it also was two women. You usually get to see like this type of stuff from the men, but the women in WWE were actually able to get to pull this type of stuff off and Tiffany and Wendy were actually able to execute uh, the assignment that was needed for them for this Lights Out matchup. So hopefully this ends there feud between both ladies and congratulations to both of them for putting on a excellent uh main event for this nxt show and that is your nxt wrestling highlights of the week now off to aew dynamite dynamite will open up with chris jericho coming out to the ring chris jericho will call out daniel garcia because daniel garcia last week put his hands on jericho after jericho came down to beat up on brian danielson after daniel garcia and brian danielson had a classic match on dynamite uh, Daniel Garcia would come down to the ring. Chris would tell Daniel that he went through a big match with Brian last week and he had a great match. And Chris would mention that Daniel put his hands on him. Chris would say all would be forgiven only if Daniel Garcia apologized. Daniel Garcia would tell Chris Jericho that he knew how important that match with Brian was last week for him. Brian Danielson is a hero to Daniel Garcia. And that is the best match in Dynamite history, bar none. And he says that he would dream about having that match and he wants kids everywhere to see that match and be inspired by that match daniel garcia would tell jericho that when brian danza stuck his hand out for daniel garcia to shake it chris jericho ruined that moment for him chris jericho would tell daniel that there will be plenty of moments like that in his career and that daniel garcia is a sports entertainer above everything else and chris would try to peer pressure daniel garcia to say that he is a sports entertainer Chris was shouted out to Daniel over and over to say that he's a sports entertainer. And then Brian Danielson would come down to the ring and tell Daniel Garcia that he agrees with the people. And he's talking about the fans because the fans are chanting that Daniel Garcia is a pro wrestler. Now you have Brian Danielson out here telling Daniel Garcia he's a pro wrestler. Now you have Chris Jericho shouting at Daniel Garcia to say that he is a sports entertainer. Daniel Garcia will say that this is out of hand. This is enough. He has his mentor right here in Chris Jericho and his idol right here, Brian Danielson, in this ring. And Chris wants to put him on the spot, and Daniel Garcia won't do it. Daniel Garcia would turn to leave out of the ring, but Chris Jericho would grab Daniel Garcia by the arm. Daniel would push Jericho off, making Jericho 
uh, fall straight on his butt, and you have the shock look of Jericho looking at Dio Garcia. The fans are cheering at this, and you have Dio Garcia looking at Brian Danielson and Chris Jericho. Then you see Dio Garcia leave the ring and walk back through the good guy tunnel because he came out through the bad guy tunnel, and now he goes through the good guy tunnel. So once that happens, you see Brian Danielson get into Jericho's face and say, you know, I don't like this sports entertainment stuff, but I got to admit, that was entertaining. Chris would then go on a barrage of telling Brian Danielson that people call you the greatest wrestler in the world, but I've been around you for 15 years, and I've never seen it. And I've been trained by Stu Hart. I'm the last uh, person of the Hart Dungeon. I'm Lionheart, Chris Jericho. I'm the best, yada, yada, yada. Brian would say, if we were to ask your trainer, Stu Hart, if we were to ask your idol, Owen Hart, who was the best wrestler out of me or you, who do you think they would pick? Brian would then throw out the challenge to a match for them to have tonight. And Chris would accept, but he says that will happen at All Out. Chris will leave Brian Danielson with his final warning that he needs to watch his back because he never know when Chris might strike. And Jake Hager will slide into the ring and clothesline Brian Danielson from behind and then hit him with an Oklahoma slam, leaving Brian Danielson laid out and Chris Jericho and Jake Hager standing above him. So we have our match with Chris Jericho and Brian Danielson going and is being announced at All Out. After this, we will get our first match of the night. Dax Hardwell going against Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal would win this match by pinfall when Dax would roll up Jay, but Jay would reverse it by grabbing Dax tight and hold on to the tights as he got the pin and win. This was a real hard-striking match between both of these guys. Both Jay and Dax would leave with red chest because they would be chopping each other so much in this matchup. Um, they both would try to play homage to their heroes. Dax would try to put the sharpshooter on Jay, while Jay would try to put the sharp uh, figure four on Dax. I mean, this is a real good match for any type of beginner. If you're learning professional wrestling to watch this match and learn from these two guys that are real seasoned uh, wrestlers here. Uh, after the match, you would see Sanjay Dutt come down and tell Dax that, yes, you guys have a trios match between... Jay Lethal and two mystery partners because I never told you that it was going to be me and Saddam Singh teaming with Jay. So Sanjay would point to the screen to show that it's going to be the Motor City Machine Guns teaming up with Jay Lethal to go against FTR and Warlow at All Out in a trios match. And personally, I'm happy for this because this still keeps the relationship between AEW and Impact alive. I mean, the last time a Impact guy was on AEW television, it was literally uh, the Good Brothers, and the Good Brothers have a connection because they are close to the Bucks, and the Bucks and Kenny Omega, they have, like, positioning, like, legitimate office positioning with All Elite, so for them to come over to AEW last year, that was great, but we haven't seen any Impact talent come over to AEW, it's always been AEW talent go over to Impact with Christian, uh, Kazarian, Kenny Omega last year, and plenty other, like, talent that I'm probably forgetting right now. And um, it's just great to see Impact stars go over to AEW. So hopefully uh, you guys will get to experience the Motor City Machine Guns. If you haven't seen them, I would suggest you go to YouTube, type in Motor City Machine Guns, and watch a couple of their matches. I guarantee you, you will at least be intrigued by their tag team style. 
Um, after this, we would go backstage and there would be Thunder Rosa standing next to Tony Schiavone. And she would announce that she cannot compete at All Out because she's injured. And at All Out, there will be a fatal four-way match to determine the interim AEW Women's Champion. Uh, in the match, it will be Britt Baker, Hukaru Shida, Jamie Hayter, and Tony Storm. After this, we would get the father versus son match. Colton Gunn with Austin Gunn in his corner, going against Billy Gunn with the Acclaim in his corner. Colton Gunn would win the match by pinfall when the ref would look on the outside of the ring and the Acclaim would get attacked by Austin and Stokely Hathaway. Colton Gunn would take this time to then low blow Billy Gunn and then hit him with the Colt 45 for the win. After the match, Stokely Hathaway would get in the ring and he would hand both Austin and Colton his business card and this time they would take it. The previous times, uh, Billy Gunn took the business card the first time and then the second time Stokely tried to give him the business card, they just walked away from Stokely. This time they actually take it, so apparently they are part of Stokely's uh, ever-growing faction. Then you see Colton and Austin look at their father, Billy, on the mat, and they would just stomp on him some more until Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland, uh, the AEW Tag Champions, would come to the ring to make the save. Austin, Colton, and Stokely will leave the ring through the crowd, and then later in the night, there'll be a backstage segment where Keith and Swerve would challenge the Acclaim to a match at All Out for the AEW World Tag Team Championships, and the Acclaim would accept. So we have another match added onto the All Out card. After this, we would get Britt Baker with Jamie Hedier and Rebel in her corner going against Kylan King. And Britt Baker would win the match by submission when she would lock in Lockjaw and King would have to tap out. After the match, Britt would get on the mic and say that it's a shame what happened to Thunder Rosa and makes mention that during her reign, she wrestled her entire championship reign with a broken wrist because that's what champions do. So she's poking fun at Thunder Rosa. We don't know what happened to her. It was not announced why, what type of injury she got. So again, Britt Baker's constantly just poking at Thunder Rosa at this moment. Uh, Britt would then turn her attention to Tony Storm and say that Tony can finally have a match that people actually care about because Britt Baker's in it. Tony Storm would then come down to the ring, but she would get jumped from behind by Jamie Hayter and Rebel. Uh, Jamie would then throw Tony into the ring, and then Jamie and Britt would stomp on Tony until Hikaru Shida would run into the ring with her candlestick to make the save, and then you see Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker leave the ring. Again, this is building up for the Fatal 4-Way match that we're now getting at All Out for the interim AEW Women's Championship. Again, this is the interim. Thunder Rosa is still the AEW Women's Champion. She's just injured, so she's going to be taking some time off to recruit from this injury that she does have, while the interim champion will be determined at All Out, and then more than likely, we will get a unification matchup when the time comes when Thunder Rosa is back to normal. After this, we will get the AEW World Championship unification match. It's CM Punk going against John Moxley, and Moxley would win the match by pinfall, and I ain't going to front. This was real surprising to me, because Moxley and Punk, had a solid, what, seven-minute match. And the turning point of the match would be when Punk would hit a roundhouse kick on Moxley, and then Punk would go down, and then he would hold the foot that he was in the stance to throw the kick with, and then he would hold that foot and scream in agony as Moxley would then see this, grab Punk, put him in some type of submission, uh, foot submission. Punk wouldn't give up, and then you see Moxley start elbowing Punk to the chest, and then you see Moxley hit him with two Death Riders for the win. And Moxley would win. Everybody in the crowd would be so shocked. The camera 
uh, shots would see crowd members just being shocked about how fast this match was because this match was built up for this week and for last week and all the month, well, the past two months while CM Punk was gone with an injury, when the whole idea whenever Punk and Moxley uh, had their match for the unification for the AEW World Championship, oh my god, this is going to be a big, epic 20-minute matchup. But no, it was literally like seven minutes of a match, and it was really quick. I mean, everybody was shocked. I was shocked, but Moxley is still your champion. As a matter of fact, he is the world champion now. No more interim. He is the world champion for AEW. Uh, after the match, you will see medical personnel and Ace Steel come down to the ring to look at Punk. Again, Ace Steel is CM Punk's one of CM Punk's uh, trainers that helped him get into the business and also one of the guys that are CM Punk's best friends as well. And he also works for AEW as a backstage like agent. He would come down to the ring with medical personnel and they will look at Punk to make sure he's okay. And they will help Punk get out of the ring and head to the back. And there was one moment as they were helping Punk out of the ring and they're like middle of the ramp. You would see Punk look back at the crowd and as the crowd is cheering on and everything else, you just see Punk looking like sad because he lost. This is his first match coming back since injury and he happened to lose the championship. So we'll have to see what type of story they build on with that. And Moxley proved to Punk that he's better than Punk. He isn't this weakling that you called last week on Dynamite. He is a strong guy. He's been the guy since you've been out. He's the guy to take the mantle from you. So we'll have to see what can happen between Punk and Moxley. What is going to happen with Punk as he's going to be away? Or how long is he going to be going away? Is he going away? Nobody knows. We'll have to find out. But the only thing that we do know is John Moxley is your world champion. Uh, after this, we would get Ricky Starks coming out for an in-ring promo. Ricky Starks would come out and say that he's been pissed off about what's happened to him for the past couple of weeks with Team Taz dissolving to Powerhouse Hobbs turning on him. Ricky would mention that the veterans in the back will be telling him that this is show business, not friend business, and Ricky thought that he was the exception to that rule, but apparently he's not. Ricky would say that when he first met Powerhouse Hobbs, he was wearing a bedazzled t-shirt being a security guard for Britt Baker in the background but whenever Ricky got with Powerhouse Hobbs Ricky would have the spotlight placed on not just himself but on Powerhouse Hobbs Ricky would say that those two were like brothers that was his best friend and that for Hobbs to clothesline him it hurt him not just clothesline him but clothesline him in the neck the same place that he was out for a long time and that he could have lost this lost wrestling, lost doing what he loves. Ricky would then challenge Powerhouse Hobbs to a match at All Out, and the match would be uh, announced at All Out. We will be getting Ricky Starks going against Powerhouse Hobbs. Also in the night, we would get a backstage uh, interview with Christian, and Christian would accept Jungle Boy's match for All Out, so we get Christian versus Jungle Boy at All Out as well. Now on to the main event of Dynamite, the trio's championship quarterfinals united empires will osprey and ozzy open going against death triangle pack penta and phoenix will osprey would win the match for his team by pinfall when ozzy open will hold up phoenix and will will hit the os cutter for the win uh this match met the hype surrounding it all six men in this match got busy everybody wanted to see pack and will osprey like get at it with one another 
And we got to see that towards the end of the match. I mean, both of them were throwing hands. Uh, you got at one point Pack hitting a super brain buster off the top uh, turnbuckle onto Will Ospreay. At one point, you saw Will Ospreay do his flipping uh, stand on his feet. What I mean by that is this. Uh, Phoenix and Will Ospreay would be on the top turnbuckle. And Phoenix would try to hit Will Ospreay with a Hoonan Karana off the top turnbuckle. And Will Ospreay would flip off and land on his feet. And that would catch the people in the audience surprise and that would catch Phoenix by surprise. I wasn't surprised by that because he does that a lot in, Will, in uh, New Japan. People would try to hit him with a uh, Hoonan Karana and he would flip and land on his feet. The first time he did that in New Japan, I believe it was against... Uh, uh, Kota Ibushi some time ago, I believe like 2019 I believe 2019 or like 2018, one or the two but that was the first time he did it in like AEW so it was a nice like pause and appreciate Will Ospreay moment for the fans and everybody else. Also another thing to highlight in this matchup was that we got to see Kip Sabian attack uh, Pack from behind when Pac was on the outside of the ring and Pac was close to the guardrail, he saw somebody hiding under a box, like having a box on their head. And that was usually Kip Sabian for these past weeks and months. Kip Sabian would be under a box, literally around front row of the crowd. And apparently Kip Sabian has been following Pac when Pac was defending the Mid-Atlantic Championship around the country and other countries and other uh, independent promotions. You would see Kip Sabian like, around the audience so pack would see kip at AEW dynamite or the person he thought was kip he would take the box off of him and it wasn't kip it was some guy that had like mascara and like tape over his mouth and then you see kip sabian attack pack from behind so pack and kip sabian are building up to a rivalry we just don't know when that match is going to happen but you know it's building um, after the match, you would see Kenny Omega and the Bucks come out on the entrance stage and look at Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open. Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open would wave down to them to come down to the ring. Kenny Omega would try to walk to the ring, but the Bucks and Don Callis would stop him. And this, again, is building anticipation for the semifinals between both the Elite and the United Empire, and more particularly, Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay. Also, here's another thing to note. On their AEW YouTube page, if you happen to go there, you will see Kenny Omega. This happened after Dynamite was off. All the cameras was off. Kenny Omega would get on the mic and he would like verbally trash Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay did it first to Kenny on the mic. Just want to make that clear. Then Kenny would retort and like trash Will Ospreay saying that, hey, I try to give you my shoes to fill in New Japan. You couldn't do that. Nobody cares about your matches over there. You can have all as many five-star matches as you want, but nobody's going to remember them. You've lost to Okada. I've lost to Okada, but I've also beaten Okada, and I've beaten them at the big stage. You haven't. I mean, just Kenny just going at Will Ospreay and every sensitive thing that Will Ospreay holds dear to him. Like Will Ospreay main eventing in the G1, but he did it in front of 3,000 people while Kenny Omega did it in a packed arena. Will Ospreay not being able to beat Okada. Kenny Omega being able to beat Okada. I mean, just Kenny's going after the soft spots of Will Ospreay to the point that Will Ospreay wants to get at Kenny Omega, but you see Ozzy Open, like, again, grabbing Will Ospreay and, like, holding him back to make sure that he doesn't get at Kenny. 
So again, this is all building up for the anticipation for the semifinals of the trios championship tournament between the elite and the United Empire. If you haven't seen it, go to YouTube, watch it, and you will see what type of hype they're trying to build up for that uh, semifinals matchup. And that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now on to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling will open up with an Impact Knockouts Tag Team Championship match. Uh, Mia Yim and the Knockouts Champion Jordan Grace going against the Knockouts Tag Team Champions Vex, which are Chelsea Green and Deanna Perrazzo. Vex would win the match by pinfall when Chelsea would grab Jordan by the neck and pull her down on the second rope. And then you'll see both Chelsea and Deanna hit their tag finish, which is a modified snap suplex on Jordan Grace. And Deanna Peraza would cover Jordan for the win. Later in the night, we would see Chelsea and Deanna walk up on Gail Kim and tell Gail that Deanna Peraza has earned a knockout championship matchup since Deanna pinned Jordan not just this time, but also the last time they met in tag team competition. Gail will tell Deanna that she has a point, but Masha Samovich has been undefeated since she's been an impact and Masha should get a shot at Jordan. So Gail will make the match for a number one contenders match between Deanna Perrazzo and Masha Slamovich next week on impact. I believe that's going to be a good one. And again, we're still building up to the Masha Slamovich going against Jordan Grace at bound for glory uh, match. I believe that's where we're going with this. If we don't go with this, I don't know what we're doing, but impact is more or less going to go with Masha going against Jordan Grace at bound for glory. After this, we had Mike Bennett with Maria Canellis in this corner going against Carl Anderson, the stipulation for this was that if Carl Anderson would win, Maria Canellis would be banned from uh, the tag team title match between the Good Brothers and the Kingdom whenever that title match happens. Carl Anderson would win that match by pinfall when Maria would get on the ring apron and distract the referee. Matt Taven would come down to the ring and kick Carl Anderson in the head. This would lead to Doc Gallows then coming down to the ring, grabbing Matt Taven and choke slamming him on the ring apron. Mike Bennett would roll up Carl Anderson, but Carl Anderson would kick out at two. Mike would then charge at Carl. Carl would duck and then hit him with the gun stun, or better known as the RKO, on Mike Bennett for the win. After the match, the Good Brothers would then go backstage and meet up with Scott Demore. And Scott would let them know that next week they will be defending the Impact Tag Titles against Bennett and Taven. So that match happens next week. After this, we will have another match of Jason Hotch going against Bupinder Gujir. And Brian Myers, the digital media champion, was on commentary for this match. Bupender would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the Gargoyle Spear on Hotch. Again, the Gargoyle Spear is a second turnbuckle spear for the win. After the match, Brian Myers would get in the ring and tell Bupender that he knows he wants another shot at the digital media championship. But Myers is so busy, he doesn't know when he would be able to defend that championship. Myers would say, how about now? And then he hits Bupender in the head with the microphone. Myers would beat down on Bupinder, then hit him with an paler DDT. That's basically an elevated DDT. And Myers would tell the referee to make the count. This was not an official match. The referee never rang the bell. So the ref would tell Myers he can't do it because this isn't an official match. Myers would poke at the chest of the referee several times to the point that the referee would get aggravated at Myers and then push Myers. Myers then would turn his attention back to Bupinder and then run towards Bupinder, who's in a corner but Bupinder would kick Myers in the face, then hit Myers with the gargoyle spear. Bupinder now will cover Myers, and the referee being upset would make the fast count to three. No bell was ever rang. Bupinder would get up and then hold the digital media championship in the air, 
He would look at it, and then he would leave the ring with it. We would go backstage later in the night, and you see the referee talk to Bupender and say that, hey, that wasn't a sanctioned match, so I need you to give me back the Digital Media Championship. Bupender would tell the referee that if Brian Myers wants this championship, he will have to come and find me for it. So, Bupender now has the Digital Media Championship in his possession, but he is not the actual champion. After this, we would get Vincent versus Josh Alexander. Josh Alexander would win the match by pinfall when Josh would hit the C4 spike on Vincent for the win. After the match, Eddie Edwards would come out and congratulate Josh on the win, and he would tell Josh that their match at Bound for Glory has been chosen, but that doesn't mean they have to go against each other as enemies. Eddie Edwards is out here trying to persuade Josh to join him and honor no more as they go against the machine, Impact Wrestling, the dis, all the corruption behind the scenes that honor no more feels that's happening. Uh, Eddie Edwards would get in the ring and continue to try to persuade Josh, but Heath would sneak in and hit Eddie with the wake up call. And again, Heath is out here to try to take out every member of Auto No More because they beat down on Rhino a couple months ago. So this has been his mission ever since then. So he finally got to Eddie, and more or less, we're probably going to get Eddie versus Heath somewhere down the line before we get to Eddie Edwards going against Josh Alexander at Bound for Glory. After this, we will get Alicia Edwards going against Jessica, who had Rosemary in her corner. This is Jessica's first time wrestling on Impact. Jessica is the alternate ego of Havoc. Um, Jessica will win the match by pinfall when she would hit Alicia with the over-the-shoulder reverse pile driver for the win. I mean, it was a good match. I mean, no more needs to be said about it. To be honest with you, this was basically just a match to showcase what this new persona of Havoc can do. Uh, after this, it's time for the main event of Impact. Six-man tag match. Violence by design going against Time Machine, who consists of Kushida, Chris Saban, and Alex Shelley. Time Machine would win the match when Alex Shelley would superkick Diener, and then Chris Saban would get Diener on his shoulders, and Kushida would hit the Pele kick on Diener's head, and then Chris would hit the Cradle Shock for the win. This, again, is to showcase what uh, the Motor City Machine Guns can do as a team, or even as a trio, since they are going to be teaming up with Jay Lethal at All Out. And again, this is for anybody that watched the Dynamite the night before. They probably went over to Impact just to see who these guys were. This was just to give them a glimpse of what they could expect into that match with Jay Lethal and the Motor City Machine Guns going to get FTR and Warlord. This was just to give everybody a taste of what the Motor City Machine Guns can do. So again, this match served its purpose. So with that, that was your Impact Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now on to SmackDown. First thing to note that next week on SmackDown, we'll be finding out the fate of Ronda Rousey. Will she be still be reinstated into WWE? Will she be suspended? And if so, suspended for how long? We will get the in-ring debut of Karrion Cross, and we will be celebrating Roman Reigns' two years as champion. Now with that out of the way, let's get on with the show. SmackDown will open up with a one-on-one contest between Ricochet and Happy Corbin. Ricochet would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the shooting star press on Corbin for the win. After the match, the camera would stay on Corbin as he's sitting on the bottom of the turnbuckle as he's holding himself, and you would hear Pat McAfee on commentary just run down Corbin, calling him a bum. Basically, we are thinking that we're seeing the downfall of Corbin. Yes, last year around this exact same time, he was... 
in Pat McAfee's word, bum-ass Corbin, basically being a bum, down on his luck, couldn't win or couldn't get no money for anything. If you remember Corbin with his hair growing out of his face and his hair, it just looked completely atrocious for Corbin as the character. And we might be seeing Corbin going back this way because right now he's on a losing streak. Last week or two weeks ago, he lost to Ricochet, and this time he loses Ricochet again. So we might be seeing Corbin on the downward spiral here. We go backstage and we see the Street Profits are on SmackDown now. And they will walk into the building and then they will be met by Hit Row. Hit Row and the Street Profits would uh, come together and say they, they want the smoke and they're going to the back to basically party. Later in the night, we would see Maximum Male models. Uh, they're doing a photo shoot. They're posing and doing all this stuff. Max Dupree would be telling the photographer to shoot their shots and all that type of stuff, but they will hear the music of Hit Row in the background, and once they turn around, they see a big old party bus with lights flashing on it, and Max would get so, like, perturbed by this, and he would tell that somebody needs to fix this, so Maxine Dupree would leave and go get those Lotharios, and they would show up with spray paint cans in their hands, and they showed off to Max Dupree. Later on, we will see uh, Hit Row sucks spray painted on the RV, and Hit Row will walk up on Maximum Male Models and tell them that if they have a problem, they can solve it in the ring next week. So we get a tag team match set up for the Maximum Male Models of Masse and Maswaf going against Top Dollar and Ashanti Diodonis next week on SmackDown. And before Hit Row would leave, they would tell Maximum Male Models that that's not their bus. So Hit Row will leave, and then you see the bus door open, and it's the Street Profits coming out, and you see the Maximum Male Models leave, and Street Profits is standing there looking upset. So we can see the Street Profits coming back to SmackDown next week to interfere in the tag match of Hit Row going against the Maximum Male Models. Uh, we will go to a video package of Drew McIntyre. We will get two of them in the night. This is basically to showcase the career of Drew McIntyre, and the first video package will be of his early career, from when his childhood to him being signed by WWE, then to him getting released, and talking about what led him to being released by WWE. And after the first video would be showed, you would see Karrion Cross and Scarlett, and Karrion Cross would tell... Uh, Drew that he needs to cherish in these moments and he needs to watch out because at any moment Karrion can come behind Drew and smash him in the back of his head with a forearm uh, so Karrion Cross is still having Drew in his eye of sight so Drew McIntyre has to deal with not only Karrion Cross, he has to deal with Roman Reigns and also the bloodline as well so Drew has a lot on his plate to juggle uh, later in the night the second video package will be playing and it's of uh, Drew McIntyre's redemption Drew McIntyre will be talking about what he learned uh, as he was away from the WWE to him getting re-signed back to the WWE, to him winning the WWE Championship, to him now facing Roman Reigns next week at Clash at the Castle. After this, we get our tag team Fatal 4-Way match where the winners will be facing Raquel and Aaliyah later in the night in the semifinals of the Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament. Originally, it was supposed to be Toxic Attraction going against Raquel and Aaliyah, but... Gigi Dolan did get injured, and we were notified of that on Monday Night Raw. So this match is basically to see who's going to take Toxic Attraction's place. So it will be Sonya Deville and Natalya going against Dude Drop and Nikki A.S.H. Going against Zia Lee and Shotzi going against 
Dana Brooke and Tamina. Sonya Deville and Natalia would win the match by pinfall when Dana Brooke and Nikki were on the top turnbuckle and Dana was setting up for a superplex. And Sonya Deville would get on the ring apron and tag herself in. Dana Brooke would superplex Nikki to the outside of the ring where everybody else was standing on the outside except for Sonya Deville. Sonya Deville would grab Nikki, throw her into the ring, and then cover her for the win. So later in the night, we would get Sonya Deville and Natalia going against Raquel and Aaliyah. After this, we would get Sheamus and the Brawling Brutes, Rich, Holland, and Butch coming out to the ring. Sheamus would say that next week, he plans on going to Cardiff and winning the Intercontinental Championship and becoming the first ever Ultimate Grand Champion, meaning that winning the United States Championship, Intercontinental Championship, Tag Team Championship, uh, the World Heavyweight Championship, the WWE Championship, the Royal Rumble, and the King of the Ring, and Money in the Bank. So that's a big list and a big accomplishment if Sheamus does win against Gunther next week at Clash Castle. Gunther and Ludwig would come out to the ring. Ludwig would go into his whole spiel about introducing Gunther, but Sheamus would tell him to shut up. Sheamus would look at Gunther and tell him that he has a problem with him calling himself the ring general, and Sheamus would list off the people that he has beaten in the past, which includes Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre, John Cena, Roman Reigns, and Triple H. Sheamus would say that he sees a lot of himself in Gunther, but Gunther has something that he wants and that he's going to take it at Cardiff, which is the Continental Championship. Gunther would say that he respects Sheamus because he's earned it, but at Cardiff, he's going to chop Sheamus' chest to bloody pieces, and he is going to break his body and spirit to retain his Intercontinental Championship. This will lead to Gunther and Sheamus just coming face-to-face and just staring at each other, while Butch attacks Ludwig. Now you got this brawl happening. Ludwig would get the better of Butch and throw him out of the ring. Then you see... Ridge going and attack Ludwig. Now, those two brawl to the outside of the ring, and as all this is happening, you still have Gunther and Sheamus still looking at each other eye to eye, and they have not taken their eyes off of each other. They haven't even looked at the, like, brawl that's going around them. They just straight up just, those two locked eyes in on each other. Ludwig would throw Ridge over the barricade, and then you see Butch go back to Ludwig, and now those two brawl, they get into the ring, and they come next to their guys. Gunther will hold Ludwig back while Sheamus holds Butch back. And still while they're holding their guys back, Gunther and Sheamus still haven't broke eye contact with each other. Gunther and Ludwig will leave the ring. And still, Gunther and Sheamus will still lock eyes at each other. I mean, they were just locking eyes and I mean, just shooting daggers at one another. I mean, they were not trying to break no type of eyesight with each other. And if anything, this brings me... It gets me more hyped up for the match that's going to happen at Cardiff. Because you know Sheamus is real physical. Gunther's real physical. Gunther, he straight up just chops people to the chest and breaks their, like, skin and make blood, like, on their chest. And you see how the way that Sheamus does it. He's done it in the past with former competitors in WWE. He has been able to beat them up to a point that they bruise all up on their body. So that match at Intercontinental Championship match at Clash of the Castle is going to be one hard-hitting slugfest. If anything, that's Probably might be the match of the night if we're really going to call it. That would be it. We would go backstage and Sheamus would walk up on Roman Reigns' locker room and he would knock on the door. And this time the Usos would come out. Jimmy would be friendly towards Sammy while Jay, not so much. Sammy would say that he's here and to talk to Roman. Jay would tell Sammy to bounce, but Roman would ask Jay who's at the door. Sammy would reply, it's Sammy. Roman would tell Sammy to come in. Sammy would come into Roman's uh, locker room, and he would take a seat. 
and talk to Roman about what happened last week. Roman would thank Sammy for having his back last week because he didn't have the Usos there and for taking a claim more for him because that's something that family would do. Now you see Sammy with a big old smiling uh, face because Roman has included Sammy as family. Roman would ask a favor of Sammy. He wants Sammy to distract Drew McIntyre tonight. Sammy said he could do that because he's the master strategist and also he has a match with Drew later tonight anyway. Sammy would say, this could be a together thing, like a bloodline thing. We can all do this together. Roman would say, nah, I'm declining that because I will be a distraction to you. This is all about you tonight. You're in the main event. Sammy would feel gratitude towards Roman and leave with a smile on his face. Later in the night, we would see Sammy in the back getting himself together, getting himself hyped up, and the Usos would walk up on Sammy. Sammy would be friendly with Jimmy. And Jay, again, will be hostile towards Sammy. And Sammy will ask, I don't understand why you got so much hostility towards me. I talked to Roman about it. And that's when Jay gets more upset. And we get the reason why he's upset at Sammy. Jay would tell Sammy that he saw him talking to Roman about him last week. And that he tells Sammy that he needs to handle his business with Drew and to never talk to his family about him again. And he would constantly tell Sammy to handle his business with Drew until the point that Jimmy has to pull Jay and start walking away from the Sami Zayn. So we would get Sami versus Drew later in the main event. After this, we would get the semifinals of the Women Tag Team Championship Tournament. Raquel and Aaliyah going against Natalia and Sonya Deville. Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky would be out at ringside. Bailey would be on commentary for this matchup. Raquel would win the match for her team by pinfall when Raquel would hit the Tijano Bomb on Sonya Deville for the win. So on Monday Night Raw, we will have the finals of the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament, where it will be Raquel Rodriguez and Aaliyah going against Dakota Kai and Io Sky. And the winners will be the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. Uh, after this, we will get the New Day coming out to the ring. Xavier's in a wheelchair, and they talk somber about uh, taking a beating from the Viking Raiders for the past weeks and about a path, about a month. Yeah, it's been a month since Viking Raiders constantly just been beating up on the New Day. The New Day mentions that they saw the Viking Raiders uh, burning boxes of bootios last week, uh, burning unicorn horns and mer merchandise that belonged to the New Day. Uh, Kofi Kingston would say maybe it's time for them to hang up their boots as a team, but the Viking Raiders will come out and they said that last week they gave New Day a Warriors send-off. And they see the New Day out here now. And they shouldn't be here. They should have just left. But they are out here groveling. And that's disgraceful. So the Vikings would get in the ring. And Kofi would try to stop them from going after Xavier since he's in a wheelchair. And they don't go after Xavier. They put all their focus on Kofi. And you this would allow Xavier to get out of his wheelchair and unveil that he has Kindle sticks in his boot. And Xavier would pass one of the Kindle sticks to Kofi, and the New Day would go to town on the Vikings, start beating the devil out of the Viking Raiders with those Kindle sticks. The Viking Raiders would have to retreat out of the ring, and it would be announced that next week on SmackDown, the Viking Raiders will go against the New Day in a Vikings rules match, which means basically anything goes, no holes barred. But I have a feeling that the Vikings... We'll have some, like, Viking equipment around the ring. I don't know what type of equipment it will be. But for it to be called a Vikings rules match, you could kind of guess it's going to have some stuff that relate to Vikings. Uh, now it's time for the main event of SmackDown. Drew McIntyre going against Sami Zayn. 
Drew would win the match by pinfall when Drew would claim more Sammy for the win. We did have try to get some interference from the Usos during the match, but again, that didn't help at all. Uh, after the match, Roman would come out and attack Drew from behind. Roman would look to throw Drew into the ring post, but Drew would turn it around and throw Roman into the ring post. The Usos would run in and attack Drew, but again, Drew would be able to overpower the Usos, and he would be able to beat down on the Usos, until Roman would hit Drew with a spear. Then the Usos would get out of the ring, grab uh, steel chairs, get into the ring, and they would just start going to town on the back of Drew, to the point that Drew would have welts on his back from the chair shots that the Usos gave him. The Usos would then throw Drew to the outside of the ring, throw him over the commentary table, then into the barricade. They will hold up Drew so Sammy can hit him with the Huluva kick, and then they will get steel steps and then ram him into the chest of Drew McIntyre. The Usos would then grab Drew, throw him into the ring, and now Roman would grab Drew by the face and tell him that he is at the top of the mountain and that Drew can have it whenever Roman says he can and when he's through with it. And right now it's not Drew's time. Roman would then grab Drew and then lock in the guillotine choke and apply more pressure onto the choke until Drew passes out. And then that's whenever Drew would pass out and Roman would let go of Drew. Uh, Roman would tell the Usos to put Drew's body in the middle of the ring. Roman would then grab a chair, unfold it, and place it onto the chest of Drew McIntyre and sit on the chair. The Usos would then would place Roman's championships on him, and then Roman would hold the championships, look into the camera, and say that the whole industry runs through me, and he dares anybody to try to take these away from him. So that's how SmackDown ends with Roman and the Bloodline standing on top as Drew McIntyre is laying underneath them. And that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, on to AEW Dynamite. First match of the night is the quarterfinals of the Trios Championship Tournament. Dark Orders, Alex Reynolds, John Silver, and number 10 versus the House of Black, which consists of Malachi Black, Buddy Matthews, and Brody King, with Julia Hart at ringside. Dark Order would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Miro. When Malachi Black had the heel uh, hook locked in on 10, and Buddy and Brody would make sure that John and Alex would don't break it up, Miro's music would hit, and this would lead to Buddy and Brody leaving the ring to go after Miro. Miro would beat up both Buddy and Brody to the point that Malachi would look at Miro as he's on the ring apron, well, not the ring apron, the ramp, and this would allow Alex Reynolds to roll up Malachi Black for the win. So Dark Order advances, and they will be facing the best friends next week in the semifinals of the Trios Championship Tournament on Rampage. After the match, Buddy and Brody would attack Miro from behind and throw him in the ring. Now you have House of Black circling around Miro. Miro starts getting up, and Malachi Black just hits Miro with a spinning heel kick. And then Miro goes down. House of Black would then stomp out Miro until Sting and Darby Allin come to the ring to make the save, and that's when House of Black will leave. So we're building up for Sting, Darby, and Miro to go against the House of Black. After this, we go backstage where Hook is with the interviewer, and the interviewer will ask Hook about the comments 2.0 said last week. Hook will say that he doesn't care and just walks away. When Hook walks away, literally five seconds later, 2.0 walks up to the interviewer and asks the interviewer where Hook is, and she tells him he's literally standing right over there, and 2.0 just completely disregards her comment, and they talk about and they reiterate that they 
want to take the FTW title off a of hook. So again, we're building up for either Angelo or Matt Menard to take uh, FTW title off of hook in the future. Maybe I'm not saying take them off, take off the title off hook and put it on them, but they're going to try to challenge for the FTW championship. Uh, after this, we have TNT championship open challenge. Uh, Ryan Nemeth going against Warlow. Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, Satnam Singh, and Chris Sabin will be on the entrance stage watching the match. This match was extremely short. Warlow would win the match by pinfall when he would hit four power bombs on Ryan Nemeth for the win. After this, we will have Powerhouse Hobbs going against Ashton Day. It's just a guy that they use from the local area. Uh, Hobbs would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the spine buster for the win. During the match, he would constantly taunt Ricky Starks by beating up on Ashton Day and like yelling out, go get Ricky, go get Ricky. Uh, after the match, we would see the factory backstage and they are holding Ricky Starks in a chair and Ricky Starks has blood coming out of his mouth. QT will tell Hobbs that he's a man of his word and he doesn't have to worry about Ricky at all out. QT would then punch Ricky in the mouth with his watch and then leave as Ricky Starks is laying on the floor. So, we might not be getting Hobbs versus Ricky Stars. We have to see next week on Dynamite. I think they were going to conclude it then on Dynamite and actually give us a like a legitimate, are we going to get Ricky versus Hobbs at, at uh, All Out? Because right now it doesn't seem that way. We just got to see. Uh, out of this, we get Jay Cargill backstage with the baddies, which are Layla Gray and Kiara Hogan. Jade was about to be interviewed and ask a question, but Lily Gray would step in and try to answer the question. Jade would get angry at this, and Jade would tell Layla, what have you done since you got here? Jade would tell Kiera to take the trash out, and the trash is referring to Layla Gray. So Kiera and Layla leave. Jade would tell the interviewer that she can leave too, and Jade would look into the camera and tell Athena that all out, she can get these hands. Athena would appear and then hit Jade, and now you got backstage officials coming in to separate both of the ladies, and it does become official at All Out. It will be for the TBS Championship, Jade versus Athena. After this, we will have Sammy Guevara and Ty with Angelo in their corner, going against Ruby Soho and Ortiz in a mixed tag team match. Sammy and Ty would win the match thanks to some help from Anna Jay. When Ortiz would be tagged in, and he would be running over to maul Sammy in the corner, and the referee would try to get Ortiz off of Sammy. Anna Jay would run down to the ring, grab Ruby Soho, throw her into the steel steps, and Ortiz would then turn around to see where Ruby is, and he doesn't see her, and he looks confused. This would allow Sammy to hit a springboard cutter for the win. Now it's time for the main event for the Ring of Honor Championship match. It is Claudio Castagnoli with Willie Yuta in his corner, going against Dustin Rhodes, who had Arn Anderson and Brock Anderson in his corner. Claudio Castagnoli would win the match by pinfall when Claudio would pop Dustin up in the air and then hit him with an uppercut for the win. And that is your results for AEW Rampage. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I just want to highlight something that was mentioned this week. Um, This week, Eddie Kingston, it was found out that Eddie Kingston was uh, suspended by AEW a couple weeks ago after he had a confrontation, legitimate confrontation with Sammy Guevara backstage. And it was noted that Kingston's suspension is already over. So we might be seeing Kingston pop up on AEW Dynamite 
next week or Rampage next week, and we still might be getting Eddie Kingston versus Sammy Guevara. And what happened was is that at the Quake at the Lake uh, event where Moxley went against Chris Jericho in the backstage area, Eddie Kingston got into it with Sammy because Sammy uh, said that Eddie Kingston was fat, and apparently Kingston took uh, Kingston didn't like that. So Kingston would go over to Sammy and he would hit Sammy. And I don't know if they got into a brawl or not. This is all speculative. This is all coming from Dave uh, Meltzer. He's a guy that has friends in the wrestling business, actually friends with certain wrestlers. And he has like, he's just knowing of certain things, certain things he's privy to certain things. He's not. So take this with what you will. Kingston did uh, confirm that he did get, uh, suspended and he did issue a apology he said you know the truth I wouldn't lie I was wrong for being unprofessional that is a blind fact he did what he did and the public can judge that but I know for a fact I was wrong so Eddie Kingston did apologize for being unprofessional with Sammy Guevara in the back and be, and as I said before wrestling is pre-scripted we all know that it's already predetermined type of stuff but as I've said before in past episodes, wrestlers go through a lot of pain. Wrestlers actually do take a lot of abuse on the body. Wrestling is not a just like a la-la type of situation. No, these guys and gals do get hurt. They do have to deal with each other on a professional basis every single day when they see each other at their shows and indie events in the case of AEW wrestlers because AEW wrestlers can work indie bookings like independent shows. Um, so again, these wrestlers have to deal with a lot of things. They have to deal with their own mental. They have to deal with their body aching and hurting because again, that ring is not just of trampoline stuff and not of, uh, like soft cushion. No, that is wood underneath that ring, but it has a little bit of padding underneath it, but it's literally just wood. So they're slamming their bodies onto wood with a little bit of padding. These wrestlers have to deal with each other and they're, that's already taken a toll on them mentally. And some of the wrestlers already have some stuff with themselves. They have baggage. Everybody has baggage. So this does not make them exceptional from the rule. So I want people to understand that wrestlers are going to make mistakes. They're human beings and they're going to grow from this. If anything, Eddie Kingston is a human being. This showed it right here. He did something that he knew he wasn't supposed to do. He apologized for it. He manned up. He took to the punishment. That's what it is. And I want people to stop getting at Sammy Guevara, too, because a lot of people got at Sammy Guevara this week on Twitter because of that, because they heard about the confrontation and all that, and people started getting at Sammy. Yo, listen, Sammy is still a kid in the eyes of the world. He's, what, 20-something years old? He doesn't know much like that. Let's just be called spade a spade. He's probably about my age, and I'm 26. And I don't know much like that. I know a little bit about everything so I can speak on certain topics. But if you really get to the grassroots about a lot of things with me, I probably might not know everything as much as a 40-year-old or even a 35-year-old or even a 50, 60. That's all about what growing up is supposed to do. So Sammy Guevara made a mistake by saying what he said about Kingston. Uh, Kingston made a mistake about going at Guevara and again wrestling is all about protection you got to protect each other you guys are going into a ring and slamming each other and you guys are trying not to really hurt each other that much you guys are trying to put on a good show for everybody to be entertained that's all wrestling's 
basically for an entertainment escape, just like television and movies. But you guys literally only have like a one take like shot of this. You guys can't redo something like a movie or television. So a uh, shot or show. So fans quit getting at Sammy Guevara. Let him grow up. Let him make his mistakes. Let him get snake bit from time to time because he's going to make more mistakes down the line and he's going to have to grow from that himself. And don't be too hard on Sammy. And appreciate guys like Kingston for issuing an apology. He's a guy that is just a guy. He has his own problems. He never hide away from that. He never, like, lied about it. He has his own problems, but he's a man. He's a man that admits it. He's a man that will apologize. He, and he will go about his day, and that's about it. So that's just an altercation there between those two. And, again... Please allow these performers, these wrestlers to go about their day, everyday business. Don't try to harass them online or harass them in person. Don't do that because that's not cool. Just let these people be themselves. Okay. Now, with all that being said, I want you guys to have a great Saturday. I do love you all. I have a Sunday episode coming up tomorrow. You guys know the drill. Uh, if you guys want to reach me, you know where my social media links are. They are always in the episode description. And I also do have the... Uh, suicide hotline please please don't think you have nobody to talk to if you're in a downward spiral if you're in a bad situation call that hotline please because i want you guys to live on the surf i want you guys to see another day trust me you guys are a brighting bright shining light to somebody believe me somebody can't wait to see you or talk to you tomorrow or that minute or that day trust me somebody wants you to live so please do not take your life call the suicide hotline and please just try to continue about living your day okay now with that have a great saturday please don't be a dick to nobody please continue to just be that person that everybody knows who you can be please be a better person than what you were before and with all that being said this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 he is i and i am him i will see you guys tomorrow if you listen to sunday podcast and if not you'll hear from me next saturday and with all that being said kanye could you please Take these people home. I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.